Hello and welcome. <clears throat> it is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program today, 877-97-ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. That's 877-973-7425. Glad to have you with me this rainy mo- Listen, I... I- I don't want to complain about the rain, and, and I've got an increasing number of friends, my wife in particular, who has a motorcycle and doesn't want to ride in the cold or the rain, and I don't blame her. Uh, she is beside herself with the rain. It is, it's uh, it just, it, the entire state of Georgia right now is engulfed in rain. If lightning and thunder woke me up sometime around 5.30 this morning. I was able to go back to sleep, and then just before my alarm clock went off, another one woke the whole household up, shook the house this morning as it was coming through Macon, and it's everywhere. I mean, if you're listening to me right now in the state of Georgia, the odds are it is either raining or it is about to rain on you, and I'm, I'm getting tired. I am tired of it. Let's be honest. I am tired of it. Except I know if I start praying, uh, just just uh, let the rain go away, God, then we're going to have a drought this summer, and we're all going to be complaining about the heat and the dryness in, in about three months from now. And at least, maybe, possibly, I don't know, maybe it will just take care of the pollen for us. I intend to go to the beach uh, at the end of this month. I, I intend to take my family on spring break. And... I just, you know, we typically go to Hilton Head and, and you just the pine pollen can be gross. Thankfully, I'm not allergic to pine pollen, but still, I'm maybe just maybe. Of course, my 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 genius 11 year old, I mentioned this yesterday. He says, well, yeah, but we'll have mold. <laughs> OK, I, I, I want to begin with Chuck Schumer. It actually is rather a big deal, and I want to do something because I want I, I you know one of the things that I don't like in TV and radio is you excerpt something so um, you excerpt it so precise that you can almost be accused of taking something or someone out of context. And I don't want to take Chuck Schumer out of context. In fact, progressives this morning are arguing that uh, Republicans are taking Chuck Schumer out of context for his remarks yesterday. And so I'm going to do something to you. I'm going to play a lengthy excerpt of Chuck Schumer so you get the appropriate context. So it's not me telling you what Chuck Schumer said. I want you to hear it for yourself. I think it's important for you to hear it for yourself. And I want to give it to you in the broader context of his remarks. So it's a bit of a lengthy audio clip, but it, it, it's our starting point today for the news that has, has everybody in Washington at Twitter. Uh, literally, they're all on Twitter buzzing about this. And, and the Schumer team is coming out and doubling down on defense of it, among other things. The Chief Justice of the United States has come out with a very rare statement blasting Schumer. The Democrats are now attacking the Chief Justice for issuing his statement. Uh, these are the messy political times we live in. But I, I want to begin with the lengthy Schumer statement, and then we'll focus on the key words that he said. But I don't want to be accused of taking him out of context. You, you, let me Let me give you all of this. Now, we stand here today because behind me. And I'm sorry. Let me just apologize before we go on. Yes, it is 9, 10 in the morning, and you're having to listen to this voice, my own and Chuck Schumer's. It's a bad morning for you already in your eardrums, but still. Inside the walls of this court, 
The Supreme Court is hearing arguments, as you know, for the first major abortion right cases since Justices Kavanaugh and Justices Gorsuch came to the bench. We know what's at stake. Over the last three years, women's reproductive rights have come under attack in a way we haven't seen in modern history. From Louisiana to Missouri to Texas, Republican legislatures are waging a war on women, all women. And they're taking away fundamental rights. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. The bottom line is very simple. We will stand with the American people. We will stand with American women. We will tell President Trump and Senate Republicans who have stacked the court with right-wing ideologues that you're going to be gone in November and you will never be able to do what you're trying to do now ever, ever again. You hear that over there on the far right? You're gone in November. Those were Schumer's full remarks. Let, let's focus on the key words that has uh, Chief Justice Roberts upset. And they're taking away fundamental rights. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. First of all, first of all, this 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 bugs me. Can we at least Chuck Schumer get the quote right? The actual quote is from Hosea 8-7. They sow the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. They shall reap. That's the actual, that's the quote. I, I realize that you're a fairly secular guy, uh, but it's Hosea. It is the Old Testament and you're Jewish. It's, it's Hosea 8-7. Indeed, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. In the broader context, for this thing is from Israel, a craftsman made it, and it is not God. It will be broken to pieces, that calf of Samaria. Indeed, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. There is no standing grain. What sprouts fails to yield flour. Even if it should produce, the foreigners would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Interestingly enough, it is is, um, pagan worship there. And very much like uh, these Democrats worshiping Moloch in front of the Supreme Court, uh, they're the ones sowing the wind and will reap the whirlwind. But so he gets the quote wrong to begin with. But uh, Chief Justice Roberts is really, really, really angry about this. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts released a statement yesterday on this. And and what's so funny here is that the media is doing uh, a very uh, he said, she said style of of coverage of this uh, after the chief justice rebuked him. Well, you didn't rebuke the president when he went after Ruth Bader Ginsburg and and, uh, Sonia Sotomayor. And they're actually this is this is their comeback to him. Uh, but this is the problem. The president, when he name-checked uh, Ginsburg and, and Kagan, Sotomayor, and the like, he didn't actually threaten them. Here's Chief Justice Roberts' statement. This morning, Senator Schumer spoke at a rally in front of the Supreme Court while a case was being argued inside. 
Senator Schumer referred to two members of the court by name and said he wanted to tell them that, quote, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You will not know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Justices know the criticism that criticism comes with the territory, but threatening statements of this sort from the highest levels of government are not only inappropriate, they're dangerous. All members of the court will continue to do their job without fear or favor from whatever quarter. Now, Democrats are pushing back and say, well, you, you didn't attack, you didn't go after Donald Trump last week when he blasted Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor saying they should recuse themselves. Here's the president's tweet. Trying to shame some and devote in her way, she never criticized Ginsburg when she called me a faker. Both should recuse themselves. I only ask for fairness when it comes to decisions of the Supreme Court. Uh, so here's the thing. The Democrats are trying to play this that way. The president never threatened the Supreme Court justices. And they're taking away fundamental rights. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. You won't know what hit you when you, if you go forward with these awful decisions. Uh, he's threatening them by name. All Trump said was that Ginsburg and Sotomayor should recuse themselves. And, and the media is now taking this tactic. Listen, let me put this in a broader context for you because, you know, I can't do anything about Schumer, but let me use this jumping off point of John Avalon wrapping up with CNN and then the pivot back to John Berman, the, the news anchor. To borrow a line from Chief Justice Roberts, we should all be trying to call balls and strikes based on what's right and wrong, not what's right or left, without fear or favor from whatever quarter. And that's your reality check. Schumer uh, learning a lesson, though, from President Trump, making clear he will not apologize here. That seems to be the new normal in Washington. That's a problem. It's all about Donald Trump, is it not? And, and that's the pivot, is is the media here taking the line, oh, well, you know, Trump brings out the worst in everyone, and this is all Donald Trump's fault. I mean, Schumer, a guy who last month blasted the president for attacks on the Supreme Court, and then just the other week when the president demanded that uh, that Sotomayor and Ginsburg recuse themselves, all he wanted was fairness, took to the floor of the Senate and attacked uh, attacked the president for this, for undermining the Supreme Court. And now he goes to the Supreme Court in front of the Supreme Court uh, at a rally for uh, the pole, the, the pagan god Moloch and says that uh, I want to tell you, you have released the whirlwind. You will pay the price. You won't know what hits you if you go forward with these awful decisions. And the means, but 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 what about Trump? What about Trump? What about Trump? Here's the thing. I'm old enough to remember when Barack Obama was president of the United States a staffer for an for a U.S. congressman on her personal Facebook page uh, criticized the behavior of Barack Obama's daughters at a press conference held by their father, claiming they were disrespectful. Members of the media formed a mob, tracked the girl down, drove her from her office, ensured that she lost her job, followed her to her family in North Carolina, camped out on the lawn of her family, demanded apologies and statements, ruined the girl, ruined her, ruined her life, drove her from politics for daring on her personal Facebook page to criticize the behavior of the president's daughters at that time. I am old enough to remember. Remember, 
when the president in the campaign of 2016 attacked and criticized a federal judge, reporters from every major media outlet in the United States shoved microphones in the faces of Republicans in Congress demanding to know if they agreed with the president or not, would they denounce the candidate, Donald Trump, for blasting the federal judge? I am old enough to remember last year when the president criticized federal judges and John Roberts released a statement about the president blasting federal judges that reporters shoved microphones in the faces of members of of Republicans in Congress demanding to know whose side they were on, John Roberts or the president of the United States. And now we have the Chuck Schumer thing. And let me read you how the Politico spin is going this morning. McConnell is set to pour gasoline on the controversy by addressing it on the Senate floor during his opening remarks this morning. That's right. Republicans are going to pounce on this is how the media is covering it. And in NBC News tweet, Chief Justice Roberts admonishes Senate Minority Leader Schumer over Schumer's comments outside the Supreme Court. If Mitch McConnell had said what Chuck Schumer said, the tweet would be, Chief Justice Roberts admonishes Senate Majority Leader McConnell over McConnell's threats. Not comments, but threats. They would have played it up that McConnell was threatening him. If Kevin McCarthy, the the House Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, Donald Trump, or no-name Republican from, from, from Timbuktu came out and said what Chuck Schumer said, the media would be holding microphones and shoving them in the faces of members of, of the Republican members of Congress demanding to know their position on this. For God's sakes, if Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity says something the media doesn't like, they storm Congress with microphones, shove them in Republicans' faces. Are you with Rush Limbaugh on this? Do you agree with Rush Limbaugh on this? What do you think about what Sean Hannity said, Congressman? Why won't you denounce him? Instead, now we have Chuck Schumer threatening two members of the United States Supreme Court and the media response is, yeah, well, John Roberts didn't criticize Donald Trump last month by name after he named two justices and Mitch McConnell set to, to, to stir up the pot this morning. There is clear clear bias here in this. I mean, it is media bias 101. Just, you know, as an aside, consider how the media covers the Supreme Court. The the four progressive justices are reliably left-wing predictable. It is the five conservative justices who sometimes will side with the progressives on, on various matters and are way more swingy than the left ever is. And yet the media always approaches it as these five right-wing radicals on the Supreme Court denying people rights. It's never about those four progressives. It's always about those five right-wing radicals, even though John Roberts is a fairly swingy vote. Uh, The media bias in this is rampant. And yes, this is a story of media bias. Chuck Schumer knows he can go to this rally and get away with it because the media is going to give him an absolute pass on anything he says there. We should probably get into what exactly is at stake in the Supreme Court case that has uh, has progressive so riled up that they're they're essentially calling it a, a way to end Roe versus Wade, Roe versus Wade, the 1973 Supreme Court case uh, that fundamentally transformed American society. I, I would argue that American society would at this point be completely different had Roe versus Wade not happened. It, it is, it is 
the legalization of murder of children in this country fundamentally and culturally changed this country. And let's let's stop dancing around the euphemisms here. Um, and and I don't mean to upset anyone here, but abortion is actually murdering a human being. You you literally rip a child limb from limb. Uh, if the child is large enough, you crack open the child's brain and, and use a suction tube to vacuum out the child's brains before crushing their skull and ripping them out of their mother. If, if they're small enough, you scrape them out of their mother. Uh, it is murdering a human being. You, you may It may make you uncomfortable to, to, to br- embrace that idea that it's murdering a human being, but it's murdering a human being. It is the willful taking of a human being's life. That is murder. And that is what the left in this country believes in. Uh, It is a cult of death at this point. Uh, I I believe it is wrong. I believe it is morally wrong. I have friends who disagree with me. Uh, We are all sinners. Uh, That's a sin they'll be held accountable for. I'll be held accountable for pleading my sins. I I, I refuse to say I can't have friends uh, who are pro-abortion because in this country it is legal. And I'm not going to say, oh, well, it, it's morally abhorrent to me. I can't be your friend. Um, way to be able to persuade people to change their mind over time by saying, I can't have a relationship with you. You're not going to change their mind unless you're willing to have a relationship with them. Uh, but that's what it is. It, it, it's murdering a human being. And it is the only legal murder in this country. And it is the left has taken this to a religious level. It is religious dogma. It is the worship of Moloch. Uh, It is child sacrifice to the gods. It is a very pagan concept. And the Roe versus Wade, I believe, was a cultural tipping point in this country, where in large part, every major cultural argument we have had in this country since 1973 has been about murdering children. In one way, shape, or form, our politics is about murdering children. Uh, Republicans and Democrats go to the polls in large part over Roe versus Wade. What will happen with Roe versus Wade? That should tell people that the Supreme Court went too far, that a decision from 1973 is still being argued uh, culturally, that perhaps the Supreme Court should not have stuck its nose in people's business and led the democratic processes way out. It's kind of like, you know, contrast that to the Burgerfeld decision, uh, which I disagree with, but the the gay marriage decision, culturally in this country, the nation was rapidly moving towards support of gay marriage. Uh, And so you don't see the continued outrage in this country, uh, except on the issue of religious liberty. When it comes to abortion, however, you still see the fights in this country. And in fact, a majority of this country considers to believe itself pro-life. And a majority in this country, overwhelmingly among men and women, believe that there should be restrictions on abortion, particularly the further along it goes. Not everyone, in fact, a majority of Americans believe that in the first several weeks of pregnancy, abortion should be okay. But that's what it is. It's killing a child. And it is a bizarre thing that the left in this country believes abortion is health care, and yet this case before the Supreme Court acknowledges essentially that abortion is health care. And so if you're going to take the life of a human being through a surgical procedure, the abortion facilities should live up to the basic health care standards of outpatient medical facilities. And 
the left doesn't want that. They want to say it's health care, but they want to say, yes, it's health care, but we shouldn't have to uh, have these clinics live up to health care standards. And they resort to some very bizarre arguments along the way to make that. I mean, really bizarre arguments they make along the way. When we come back, one of the arguments. Now, listen, I was told when I started talk radio, never talk about this issue. You, I, I, and I'm not making that up. I was told when I started talk radio, never talk about this issue. You will turn people off. Uh, they will turn off the radio. And I got to tell you, it is it is relevant to the news today. So we're going to talk about this. But you got to hear the soundbite from this member of Congress and what they said in front of the Supreme Court. It's absolutely mind boggling. Real Clear Politics uh, has a great front page. Uh, RealClearPolitics.com. In addition to all the polling they do, I, I really am a huge fan of the site. And their front page editor notes that they 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 put their front page together and they have scoured the internet trying to find a, any site on the left that was willing to criticize Chuck Schumer for what he said. And they only found one, uh, Ruth Marcus, who leads the editorial page at the, at the Washington post was the only person, only member of the left, willing to criticize Chuck Schumer for what he did. They and, and I'm I'm scanning the page while I talk. Yep, there's I mean there's there's nothing. Uh there are defenses. In fact, there are attacks on John Roberts. Uh Dahlia Lithwick, um she is she's one of the ones who uh, wrote a while back that she was too emotionally traumatized by the Kavanaugh hearing to go back to the Supreme Court. She's a Supreme Court reporter. She's just so upset about it. Uh, her headline, Roberts denounces Schumer for talking about Kavanaugh the way Kavanaugh talked about the Senate. Ooh. Now, here's the thing. Um, here's what, here's what Kavanaugh said since my nomination, July, there's been a frenzy on the left to come up with something, anything to block my confirmation. You sowed the wind and the country will reap the whirlwind. That's what Robert or that's what Kavanaugh said. One more time over to you, Chuck Schumer. And they're taking away fundamental rights. I want to tell you Gorsuch. I want to tell you Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. At least Kavanaugh got it right. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. No, notice that she focuses on the, the, by the way, at least Kavanaugh did get it right, reap the whirlwind as opposed to release the whirlwind. Uh, it really is just dram interesting how the media covers these sorts of things, depending on the party. Now, here's Jackie Spear. She is a, a progressive Democratic congresswoman, and you really need to to listen to this. I, I uh, Do you all know Beth Moore? Um, I, I dearly love Beth Moore, the, uh, the Christian writer, uh, Southern Baptist, and she is uh, she's beside herself with this comment this morning uh, that anyone would say something like this. Uh, and I realize some, some Baptist critics, I love Beth, um, and she is deeply, passionately pro-life, and she is just beside herself that any member of Congress would say something like this. Listen to this. We are um, beginning our march to the Supreme Court because today they will be hearing the oral arguments in the case of a Louisiana uh, 
And she seems to really believe that, that, that an abortion is actually safer than a wisdom tooth extraction. Or sticking a tube down your throat. She actually, she she seems to believe that it, it is a. Oh my goodness gracious! Um, it, it's 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 a dogmatic belief on her part that it's safer than a wisdom tooth. No, no, it's not. What the law in Louisiana requires is that uh, doctors have a, doctors who perform abortions have admitting privileges at area hospitals uh, in case something happens during the abortion um, that a woman needs to go to the hospital, and also that the outpatient facilities uh, that perform abortions be treated as outpatient facilities. You know, you know, you, you've had these situations around the country in some states where abortion clinics are fully exempt from healthcare laws, even though it is considered an outpatient medical procedure procedure that they're completely exempt from inspections and healthcare scenes. And in fact, there have been several situations in a number of states in Pennsylvania included. It happened in Pennsylvania where although the, uh, although abortion facilities were required to maintain not just health licensing, but meet certain health standards for outpatient medical facilities, the then governor in Pennsylvania before the Kermit Gosnell situation uh, insisted that uh, state health care inspectors not inspect abortion clinics and that they not um, they, that they not be prosecuted or shut down for violating the standards. And then you had the, the current Gosnell uh, serial killer situation where he was literally having uh, inducing labor and women and having them flush their children into toilets to drown. I, and I'm not making, I wish I was. And, and listen, I'm sorry. I don't mean to turn you off, but you do need to understand that this is where we are with this evil in this country, where it is defended on the steps of the Supreme Court. It is claimed that it is safer than a wisdom tooth extraction. And the, uh, and the, um, the, the Senate minority leader can go to the steps of the Supreme Court and threaten by name members of the Supreme Court if they don't go along with letting them perform their child sacrifice. And you do have a situation in this country now where you do have people who do argue that we should be doing more abortions to save the planet. What's old is new again. Y'all, I have said this before. I'm going to say it again. If you're new, you've never heard it. And if you're old, just hang on. We live in a post-Christian society, and it has been going on us for, growing on us for some time. And what happens in a post-Christian society is not that new ideas invade the space where Christianity once stood. It's that very old ideas come creeping back into the public square. In the early Roman Empire, one of the reasons that uh, Christians were were persecuted and killed was because they opposed abortion. The word abortion comes from the abori. The abori was the trash heap on the edge of a Roman town where when people wanted to uh, get rid of children because they had girls and they wanted boys, they would carry the infant to the trash heap and leave them at the abori. It was an abortion. And the early Christians would go collect the children and raise the children as their own. The early Christians would go take those children, 
take them into their households, adopt them, make them their own children, and raise them. And that was weird to the Romans. It, it was obscene to the Romans that a Christian would take a child meant for the abori and take that child home and raise that child as its own. And they began to persecute the Christians for that. You know, they also persecuted the Christians for not suing people. When Paul tells early Christians not to sue, what he's actually doing is he's making a cultural argument. He's not saying if, you, if you've had injustice— don't rely on the government to help you with your injustice. What he was saying very specifically is that in the Roman Empire, litigation, particularly suing your neighbor, was a form of recreational sport. People in Rome would go to courts to watch the trials because you would practice your oration while you were suing your neighbor and like gladiatorial games without the violence, particularly when the gladiatorial games had been shut down by emperors, litigation became the wave of, of sport. And so when Paul is telling early Christians uh, not to sue your neighbor, what Paul is telling the early Christians is don't behave like the pagan Romans who haul their neighbor into court for no reason, seeking justice where there's been no injustice. And along the way, the Christians began to stand out as weird because they behaved in culturally deviant ways to the Romans. Thousands of years before that, what you had were pagans who worshipped a god, Moloch, who would take their children and murder their children on the altar of Moloch, performing child sacrifice, hoping that Moloch would either bring rain or stop rain or bring harvest and bring good harvest and heal the planet. And now you've got pagans around planet Earth who believe that we need to do more killing of children in order to help the planet grow greener. What's old is new again. It is not when Christianity leaves the public square that new ideas come in. It's that very old ancient pagan ideas come creeping back in. There's nothing new under the sun. Christianity, if anything, is the newest idea that's ever been. And it pushed aside for a very long time in the Western world all the prior ideas that as Christianity declines in the West, those ideas now creep back in as if they're new. They're rebranded. They're repackaged. And they're not. And you have people now on the left who have substituted politics for religion or religion for politics. And so now instead of going to church, they go to the rally. Instead of taking the Lord's Supper, they go have an abortion or they support an abortion facility. They give money to Planned Parenthood instead of giving money to their local church. It is a it is a right. It is a sacrament of the left. The high priests of the secular religion are Planned Parenthood abortionists and supporters. It is a religion. It is a dogmatic belief now. You have a member of Congress saying it is actually safer to rip a child from your womb than it is to rip a tooth from your mouth. We should be appalled by that. And then you have the media that is so in the tank on this and so in love with abortion. You know, you've got a, a, a legal analyst for CNN. And the legal analyst for CNN dated his colleague's daughter, got her pregnant, and then when she sought child support, demanded she have an abortion or he would not pay for the child. And that is a man who goes on TV on a regular basis and tries to tell you about the Supreme Court and somehow or another 
tries to be objective, claims to be objective. He doesn't try. He makes no effort at being a, a liberal hack, and yet CNN gives him the veneer of objectivity when he comes on as their legal analyst to talk about this, and this is what he did. And he is a, a he is a secular hedonist, and much of the media is controlled by secular hedonists who like to have a good time. They don't want to have accountability in this world. They don't believe they'll have accountability in the next world, and they resent like hell any of you who believe that there should be a moral standard when it feels good to them, so they should do it. And the only moral standard they want to apply is their own to you when you want to deprive them of their hedonism so they would believe. And they come up with these absurd arguments that somehow abortion is is less risky than removing a tooth from your mouth. And they're willing to stand up in front of the Supreme Court and they're willing to threaten Supreme Court justices because they know that the secular hedonists within the media will cover for them and will make it about the Republicans. In fact, in fact, the Washington Post headline today is Republican Seize on Chuck Schumer's comments. What's so funny is that yesterday, a ton of Republican commentators were saying within 24 hours, the story was going to be in the media that Republicans pounce or Republicans seize. It would not be what Chuck Schumer said. It would not be about threatening members of the Supreme Court. It would be about the Republican reaction to it. You, the, the media is so predictable these days in how it covers things based on which party it's covering. They were willing to give passes to the left in ways they will not give passes to the right. They are willing to give legitimacy to left-wing arguments in a way they will not give legitimacy to right-wing arguments. They are given legitimacy to the left-wing mob when the right does it. It's pouncing or seizing on something, trying to turn it into something political, as opposed to being genuinely upset about it. The left is allowed to be genuinely upset about the right. The right is always political to the left, and it is because so many members of the media are in the left. They're in the bubble. They're in the left-wing bubble. They are Democrats that they're not willing to be as objective when it comes to their own side, and they're not willing to show grace to the right. Particularly when it comes to abortion, the left believes it is a legal constitutional right, despite the fact that you can read the Constitution from beginning to end and never hear the word abortion in it. But you get to the Second Amendment and you very clearly see that we have a right to keep and bear arms. But the very same media and the very same progressive activists that believe abortion is a right, even though it's not in the Constitution, can look at the Second Amendment and say, well, yeah, that's not, you, you don't really have that right. The Supreme Court got that one wrong. Because it's faith. It is a by faith belief. I got to give credit where it's due, though. Harold Ford Jr., the former congressman from Tennessee, one of the very few people to come out on the left and say Chuck Schumer should not have done this from Morning Joe. Look, we're at a low point when president, Supreme Court justices, are, or, or, and, and, and Congress people are going at one another. It's nothing wrong with saying, Schumer to say, I disagree with what you guys are going to do. I hope that you pay attention to the law and the way I see it. And I, I happen to view it the way he does it. However, you, you can't incite violence. And one can make the case, whether he meant it or not, he's, in, he's encouraging a kind of activity. Now, the appropriate thing for young Justin Goodman, the press secretary, that would have been, look, he didn't mean that. What he meant was this. But they almost sound like they doubled down on this. And politics, I mean, it's nothing wrong with a little rough politics, but this is not the kind of politics that the American people sign up for. And uh, Democrat or Republican, pro-choice or pro-life. Uh, it was wrong of Senator Schumer to say that. Uh, I'm glad that Chief Justice shot back, and I hope that if there are times where he's not calling ball and strikes, balls and strikes, that uh, Senator Schumer will call the Chief Justice and say, please say something about this. But in fairness, he did say that about the, the judges when President Trump made his awful statement. Yes, he did. 
the media, good for Harold Ford Jr. for pointing that out. Um, he's one of the very few voices on the left willing to point that out. It's actually rather fascinating um, that Harold Ford Jr. is willing to be the reasonable guy there. Uh, and it's also fascinating that if Donald Trump or Republicans had said what Chuck Schumer said, we would have a multi-day coverage by the media demanding Republicans denounce him. Schumer will get a pass because he's on their team. This is why the trust in the American media is below 10% in this country, because even progressives get that the media is in the tank for certain causes. Man, I haven't even started in on the on the Joe Biden, Donald Trump stuff. We, we will get to that. The, the race is, is definitely on and Republicans are coming back on the Hunter Biden stuff. Can I just can I be honest with you? I feel bad for Hunter Biden. I do. I mean, he's kind of getting what he deserves in this, if we're honest about it. But I do feel bad for him, too. Um, he, he lost his mom when he was little. His dad remarries. It is very clear from Joe Biden on the campaign trail uh, that he is a, a Beau Biden guy. That the, the, I mean, listen to Joe Biden about Pete Buttigieg. I didn't play this audio on Monday, but just listen to him talk about Pete Buttigieg on stage when Buttigieg endorses him. I don't think I've ever done this before, but uh, he reminds me of my son, Bo. Uh, and I know to, that may not mean much to most people, but to me, it's the highest compliment I could give any man or woman. And I look over at Pete during the debates and I think, I think, you know, that's a bow because he has such enormous character, such intellectual capacity and such a commitment to other people. And folks, I can't tell you how much it means to me that he would step up and endorse me. I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it because I promise you, you're going to end up over your lifetime seeing a hell of a lot more Pete than you are me. He clearly, and listen, he, he lost his son. And he lost his son, who had been successful, had been the standard bearer for the family. He clearly loved his son. And his son is dead. And he's got a son, Hunter, who develops an addiction to crack, who has has flee winds up actually having a relationship with his dead brother's wife um it, the whole thing is bizarre and it just seems very clear that hunter biden stood in the shadows of his brother uh, and perhaps i i don't know I, uh, you, you can only go so far with, with the psychoanalysis of this stuff particularly when, when when it's not my field but you could just tell there's a problem there and you can tell a lot of these issues uh relate all of a lot of his issues from from drug and substance abuse and, and everything else relate to that. And and then he tries to cash in on his dad's fame and it goes badly for him. And now Hunter Biden is going to be a campaign issue in 2020. And he deserves to be a campaign issue in 2020, as does Joe Biden's brother, because they clearly were trying to cash in on Joe Biden's fame and Joe Biden's position uh, to benefit themselves. But I still feel bad for him. 
Uh, given the tragedy in his life led to so many of the problems, he's got to be responsible at the end of the day. Uh, but I, I just I, I feel the need to note it. Now, that being said, uh, Joe Biden's involvement here is, is also going to be problematic for all of the Democrats trying to drag the Trump children through the mud. The reality is the Trump children and the Trump family was a highly well, we'll argue about highly successful, but they were a successful family. They did run a, a multi-million dollar business. And they they were they were good at it. They're still good at it. The, the the children are running the business now. Eric and Donald Trump Jr. are running the business now. And you can quibble with it all you want. You can blast them all you want. You can say they're corrupt all you want. Okay. But they were doing it before their dad got into politics. Hunter Biden's dad has always been in politics. That's a fair point. But he's used his dad being in politics like John Kerry's son. In fact, John Kerry's son and, and Hunter Biden were, I think, business partners at a time, cashing in on their fathers being in politics. And it's a relevant campaign issue, particularly as Americans decide they don't particularly care for uh, th- this level of nepotism in American politics we're coming to see. It's going to be an issue on the campaign trail. It's also going to be an issue. Joe Biden's mental health stuff and his age, the Republicans are already out there talking about Joe Biden's gaffes on the campaign trail. And the Democrats are like, well, what about Trump's gaffes? Well, OK, yeah, but you're saying that Joe Biden is somehow more competent than Donald Trump. He shouldn't be making the gaffes that he's making. It's going to be interesting to see the fight. When we come back, we'll discuss this. Good morning. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. If you want to be a part of the program, you're allowed. I permit it. The fold number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I'll get back to Joe Biden. I will. Uh, and I, I will, by the way, I, I do need to tell you, I told you guys the vice president would be joining me tomorrow. They've had to reschedule to next week. Um, I'll let you know when we get it rescheduled. Um, but they're, you know, with the president coming into town tomorrow, it, it, it's just, it, he's going to be in Atlanta tomorrow afternoon. It's kind of messed everything up. We'll get there. I want to bring you a quick update on a story I started this hour with yesterday. In fact, I was in Athens last night at the University of Georgia, and the the issue came up there. Uh, Jesse Evans, who is the uh, chair of the Athens Clark County Board of Elections, voted three to two on Tuesday to get rid of the new voting machines. Only two days hour or two days after they started using the voting machines, even some members of the Clark County Board of Commissioners are not happy, and it appears that the Board of Elections in athens Clark County has dragged the county now into a lawsuit. The state is going to come after them, and here's the problem for the county and why they're going to lose the case. Uh, their lawyer advised them not to do it. And on top of advising them not to do it, uh, the election superintendent told them that machines could be rearranged. Now, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, in Georgia, there are new electronic voting machines. The displays are larger and brighter. They print out a paper ballot, 
and uh, many people clamored for a paper ballot. Uh, it was Democrats in the year 2000 who insisted we use electronic balloting, and now that they can't steal the elections because of electronic balloting, the Democrats want to go back to paper. I, that's really not true. That, that's just a partisan talking point. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, I'm sure there are some Democrats who would love to stuff the ballot, and in fact, Fulton, his, Fulton County, uh, that's Atlanta, uh, used to have a history of, of things like that happening. But in large part, this is really to just stir up. It's it's not it is not designed for Democrats to be able to stuff ballot boxes. And I know every Republican listening to me right now. Says, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What it actually is is a Democratic effort to continue to stir up grievance against Republicans and a Democratic effort to continue to call into question the legitimacy of elections. Uh, It is an effort to undermine the election, not an effort to steal the election. And the the Board of Elections in, in Clark County wants to undermine elections and call into question the elections. They know they're going to get sued for doing this, and I suspect they want the lawsuit, and it's going to hurt Clark County taxpayers. There have been a couple of other counties urged by Democrats to do this. Uh, it's going badly for them in every single county where it's happening. Judd Drake is the attorney for athens Clark County, told the elections board uh, that it would be very difficult to uh, to to harm or, or to to stop the use of the electronic balloting machines. And what the athens Clark County Board of Elections says is the screens are so big and so bright, and Georgia says that we're allowed a private ballot in a, in, in a secure secret vote, that people walking by can see the screen and know how you voted, and therefore they can't guarantee a private vote. There's a problem. Let me read you this paragraph. This is from Fox 5 in Atlanta. Judd Drake, the attorney for athens Clark County, cautioned board members Tuesday that it would be difficult to meet the standard. Let, let me let me walk back here. Let me read this prior paragraph first. Sorry. Georgia law requires all of the state's 159 counties to use the new voting system, except when a county election official determines that using elections machines becomes, quote, impossible or impractical. Judd Drake, the attorney for athens Clark County, cautioned board members Tuesday that it would be difficult to meet that standard in court after the county's own election supervisor insisted the machines could be arranged in a way that protects voter privacy. According to Judd Drake, on an audio recording of the meeting, quote, it could present a challenge later on to the board's decision if the board decides to use paper ballots. He added the decision would face a lawsuit by voters or state election officials, which I am told is coming. Uh, The state will sue athens Clark County uh, to insist they go back to the electronic voting machines that the state just put in place. Uh, Again, the athens Clark County Board of Elections says that they've got to use, they can't use the machines because the screens are too big. People will be able to see who you're voting for. The election superintendent for athens Clark County says, no, no, we can just turn the machine so they face, so the screens face the walls, uh, and people walking past won't be able to see who you vote for. And the athens Clark County said, nope, nope, not good enough, not good enough. We, we're we're, we're going to have to, we're going to have to shut these machines down and go to paper ballots. Republicans immediately when they hear this, particularly in Georgia, because Georgians remember the days of Democrats actually engaging in ballot stuffing and hanky-panky at the elections. You know, there was a famous situation back when I was 
I think it was before I was in college, actually, and I heard about it while I was in college, that uh, Republicans in Fulton County looked to be on the verge of taking the uh, county commission chairman spot in Fulton County. And uh, the the Republicans were following one of the – they used to take the ballots to the Board of Elections to count. They didn't count them at the precinct. They drove them to the Board of Elections. And so Republicans were following the car that had the ballots – and as they were getting towards downtown Atlanta, a garbage truck, a city garbage truck, uh, whipped out between the car with the ballots and the car that had the Republicans and blocked the path of the Republicans. And the Republicans wound up getting to the Board of Elections before the car that was ahead of them that was not blocked by the garbage truck actually got there. And obviously, uh, the, the Republicans did not win, and there was all sorts of hanky-panky. And... Republicans to this day are convinced when Democrats want to go back to paper ballots, the reason they want to go back to paper ballots is they want to be able to stuff the ballot box and and take back power in Georgia through illegal means. There's really no evidence of that. What there is evidence of, if we're trying to be fair about it, is that uh, the Democrats want to continue to, one, uh, delegitimize elections in the state of Georgia. They want to continue to cast doubt and foster grievance against Republicans in the state of Georgia, and they believe that the grievance mongering will actually help them take back power in the state. On top of that, they believe that uh, if they can continue to whip a frenzy against Republicans and get favorable media attention as things go poorly for them, they can then say that the Republicans are suppressing the vote, that people aren't comfortable coming in, they, they don't want people to see how they're voting, that they're intimidated, or... In this case, oh, well, the screens are so big and people can see who we are voting for. Uh, the, the people are scared. That's what's going on here. Uh, it has nothing to do about stealing the election. It has everything to do with undermining integrity in the elections. And that's unfortunate. Uh, it, it is unfortunate. Uh, the Democrats also are 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 agitating for paper ballots uh, because they really, at this point, do believe they have bought into the idea uh, that the machines are going to be hacked and the Russians are going to steal the election. You do need to understand that component as well. There, there genuinely is. And it, this is, is very much this in the first hour. If you weren't here in the first hour, I played a Democratic Congresswoman Jackie Spear. This is regarding Chuck Schumer and the and the child murder rally at the Supreme Court yesterday. Jackie Spear, Democratic Congresswoman, uh, said that actually murdering a child in utero is a safer medical procedure than uh, taking a wisdom tooth out. And and it is by faith belief for her. She's not lying. I mean, she's not right, but she's not lying because she really believes that killing a child is a safer medical procedure than taking a tooth out of your mouth. She, by faith, believes that. And the Democrats now, by faith, believe that the electronic voting machines are going to be hacked by the Russians. And so by faith, they believe the only way to save them is a paper ballot, never mind that the Russians could stuff the ballot, but they could hire Russian agents. You know, the Russian agents are everywhere. They could they could stuff the ballot boxes or they could rig the optical Scantron machines to, to miscount. They could do all of these things. I, I mean, the scenarios write themselves in the minds of the paranoid. But the Democrats believe by faith that these electronic voting machines are going to be hacked and, and they're unreliable and they're terrible. And, and so, hey, they spit out a paper ballot. So let's just go to a paper ballot anyway. They're driven by fear and paranoia, 
and they want to destabilize and undermine the elections, and that's unfortunate. But that's that's where we are. It is a political agenda, and the Athens-Clark County Board of Elections is going to be sued, and you taxpayers in Athens-Clark County are going to have to pay for it. And this has happened in a number of other counties in the states, and all of the counties have lost. Every county that has tried to not use the electronic voting machines has lost, and Athens-Clark County is going to lose as well. Now, I want to spend a few minutes here discussing how I realized I was old last night, and it's bad. So I spoke to the University of Georgia College Republicans. You know, it's kind of funny. I live in Macon, went to Mercer, hardly ever do anything at Mercer, but I went to UGA. I I haven't been to Athens in a while. I got to go see Abby at uh, WGAU, which is our flagship station. We broadcast uh, from my my studio in Macon. We send it to WGAU and they broadcast it out to the world at large. And I need to go spend more time there because I like the people there. And I went and did my evening show there. And then I went to UGA and I spoke at the Zell Miller Center. You know, I was there. President Bush came in to dedicate that years ago. My buddy Clayton and I went over and hung out and we were at the dedication, got to see the president and see Zell Miller and and, uh, be there for the, it was a beautiful, didn't get to go inside the building that day. First time last night, went in that building and y'all, I got to tell you. I died a little bit inside last night talking to the college Republicans at the University of Georgia. I really did. It was it, it crushed my spirit and my soul, and I haven't recovered. So Alex is the chairman of the college Republicans at UGA, and he sat in the front, and I was talking some history. And I looked at Alex, and I asked, you know, when you're in law school, you're trained. Never ask a question you don't already know the answer to. And I made the unfortunate mistake of, of asking Alex a question. And he, he didn't have the, he, he, he didn't want to lie and make me feel better. He wanted to tell me the truth. And I said, Alex, what year were you born? <sighs> Y'all, he was born in the year 2000. He, he was the chairman of the College Republicans at the University of Georgia, was born in the year 2000. That was the year I got married. I'm old. And I'm, I'm not even 45, and I'm old. And it made me, it just, it, it broke my soul to hear him say he was born in the year 2000. I mean, God bless him for his honesty. <sighs> Ginger born in 2000 and broke my soul. <laughs> Listen, uh, it was a, it was a good time. Uh, and one of the things that I talked to him about, they, they had questions. How do you engage the left progressives on campus? Uh, how do you deal with this issue of progressives on campus? And, and I will tell you, I really increasingly believe that we must be relational with the other side. Uh, there are so many studies that there's a Pew survey among others that shows that it is actually um it is more likely that a Republican or a I'm going to use a conservative and progressive. It is more likely that a conservative will on a daily basis come into contact with progressives than it will be for progressives to come into contact with conservatives. Uh, progressives have, um, have, have a way to alienate themselves, isolate themselves from conservatives in ways conservatives don't. So, for example, if you're at UGA and you're a conservative, uh, you're going to encounter progressive professors. You're going to encounter progressive students. If you're a progressive student, uh, you're no, you, your church is now your political group because you've traded God for politics and you hang out with other 
other progressives and you never have to encounter conservatives. And it's very easy for you as a progressive to decide that the other side is bad or evil. And it's actually very easy for isolated conservatives to believe that the left is evil. Never mind that we're all sinners. And so I was trying to tell the UJ uh, College Republicans last night, I didn't want to give them a red meat speech. I wanted to tell them, you got to engage with the other side. You know, particularly on the pro-life side, when you get a pro-lifer and a pro-abortionist on TV together, the pro-lifer always, in every case, has a better grasp of the arguments of the pro-abortion side than the pro-abortionist does of the pro-life side. And it is because pro-lifers are more likely to encounter someone who is pro-abortion than a pro-abortionist is to encounter someone who is pro-life. So you have to understand the arguments of the other side better because a conservative is more likely to encounter a progressive than a progressive is to encounter a conservative. A conservative is better able to articulate and understand the left's positions than the left is the right's positions. And you can't show up at a, at a group of progressives and begin to debate them on issues because they don't understand you to begin with because you're foreign to them in a way they are not foreign to you. And so I was trying to tell the conservatives last night at the college Republicans that you really do need to reach out and try to build bridges with people on the other side and engage them, not at a political level, not in political debate, but actually in a relational level. And if you can engage relationally with people on the other side, you might be able to persuade them that you're right and particularly particularly at a local level, where there is not a partisan position on trash collection, perhaps you can actually persuade them that, you know, privatization of the trash company would save us money and would be more efficient. And you can begin to persuade them at an intellectual level on politics, but you can't do that unless you actually become friends with them first. And we in this country to this day, or at this time, are so divided as a country, it is harder and harder for us to be willing to be friends with people we disagree with politically. And it's actually vitally critical for us at this time in this country to be willing to engage at a friendly level with people on the other side. And it's increasingly hard to do that. And we got to make ourselves do that. And that's what I wanted to tell the kids at the college Republicans. And then they told me what kids they actually were by being born in the year 2000 and suddenly I had to hate them because they made me feel old, but it was a great group. It really was a great group. The phone number, if you want to call into the program, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973- 7425. Uh, this this story kind of cracks me up if I'm honest about it. Um, I feel bad for the guy, but I don't feel bad for the guy. Uh, this is a senior investigator, uh, Josh Waits. He is the director of the State Department of Revenue's Office of Special Investigations. Uh, there's actually the, the, the AJC has a picture of him arresting hateful city councilwoman, Ruth Barr in 2017. Uh, the arrest was on a perjury charge related to a fraud investigation into, uh, Ruth Barr's tax preparers business. Well, Josh Waits has been fired or, well, I should say he's resigning. He's under investigation. Uh, he falsely stated in a job application he had a degree from a college that doesn't exist. Josh Waits, this is the AJC. Josh Waits, director of the Office of Special Investigations, submitted his resignation this week after the state inspector general found he did not have a two-year degree in criminal justice from the University of Northwest Florida. Uh, 
Waits, who earns $107,000 a year, said he had such a degree in a job form filled out in 2015 when he sought promotion. Waits resigned days after Inspector General Deborah Wallace told Revenue Commissioner David Curry about her findings. In a February 27 letter obtained by the AJC and Channel 2 Action News in Atlanta under the Georgia Open Records Act, Wallace said the matter had been referred to the Attorney General's office for review and possible prosecution. Waits did not respond to a request for comment. He said he could not comment because he was still a state employee. While the Inspector General's investigation found Waits' education did not factor into his hiring or into his salary, she said the false statement affects his credibility as a law enforcement officer and the integrity of the Department of Revenue. Misrepresenting educational history on an official document is a serious matter. This is especially concerning as Waits' credibility is paramount to his participation in criminal investigations and prosecutions of tax matters for the Department of Revenue. There you have it. Uh, he started in 2013. He was from the Clayton County Sheriff's Office. He served as a sergeant over the Special Investigations Unit. Prior to that, he was in Florida where he was an elected fire commissioner and a local police officer, according to his bio. In recent years, he made a name for himself in publicly, highly publicized arrests for tax evaders and raids on their businesses, many of them captured by the news media because they'd been given a heads up to the event. And he led an investigation against Ruth Barr, the hateful city councilwoman, who uh, pl pled guilty to computer theft, false statements, and criminal attempt to commit theft related to filing fraudulent tax returns. She served two and a half years in prison. Last August, Waits worked with federal agents to bring conspiracy bank fraud and tax charges against Todd and Julie Christie. The realities of the TV show Chrisley Knows Best, but just two months later, the Chrisleys filed suit against Waits, hush Siri, accusing him of illegally sharing confidential grand jury and tax information with their estranged daughter, and the case is still pending. The Chrisley's lawyer is former Attorney General Mike Bowers, who called Waits an attention-seeking rogue who brought the charges because of the public profile. In October, a subordinate filed a sexual harassment complaint against Waits, and an investigation determined the complaint was without merit. Well, there you have it. Uh, there is no University of Northwest Florida um, where he claims he got the degree, and uh, the college was formerly the Okaloosa Walton Junior College, and he did attend it in 2007 but didn't get the degree. My goodness gracious. When we come back, Metaspas. Yep, we're going to talk about Metaspas, folks, and compare the left's arguments. It is 35 after the hour. It is Eric Erickson here, and you can call me if you like, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. All right, we're going to spend a little bit more time on a Georgia issue before we get into larger things. Uh, a bill is seeking to regulate cosmetic surgery centers. It has cleared the state Senate, and I actually did not know this. Uh, so Kay Kirkpatrick of Marietta uh, is a doctor. She is an, an orthopedic specialist, and I am not a big fan of government regulation of businesses. The licensing and stuff like that I, I find is really monopolies, uh, plumbers wanting to stop other people from being plumbers and barbers wanting to stop other people from being barbers. It's ridiculous. But I did not know we did not regulate Metaspas. Now, what is a Metaspa, you're wondering? 
Well, they're not considered healthcare facilities. Uh, they get a business license through the Secretary of State. They don't have to adhere to healthcare regulations. It's kind of funny. The story's coming on the heels of the Supreme Court hearing the case in Louisiana uh, to up regulations on abortion clinics uh, because it's technically an outpatient surgical procedure, and so they should up their up their um, game. And uh, nobody's complaining about this with with, with metaspas, and and it's actually probably we need to regulate a little more here. They're licensed like a nail salon or a sauna, and yet they sedate patients to perform procedures, uh, medical procedures for cosmetics, uh, in particular. So they do liposuction, and there are some some pretty traumatic stories that come i had and i'm sorry if i sound a little off on this it's it's just i've i read the story this morning and i thought this is bizarre i didn't know we didn't do this and, and now i'm i'm reconsidered in my head as i'm talking about it and it really is bizarre is it not uh you get sedated they perform surgery on you and these places they're, they're not healthcare facilities though they are actually cutting into you to do things my goodness gracious. Um, okay, uh, a patient, this is this is the story from 2007 that led to this. The patient kept screaming as she underwent liposuction at a Cobb County clinic. It's tearing, it's burning, it's tearing, it's burning. April Jenkins lay on the operating table, her hands physically restrained. She had been given the maximum dose of sedatives, and it wasn't safe to give her any more. So employees of Dr. Nidra Dodds took action. They put a towel in Jenkins' mouth to bite down on to quiet her screaming. You know the screaming. We don't want any other patients or anybody in the office to hear that. The procedure continued. At the end, Jenkins made a loud snore. A few minutes later, her heart stopped. A short time later, she was dead. A few months after Jenkins' death, Another of Dodd's liposuction patients died. Erica Boberon was recovering at Dodd's Kennesaw Clinic when her heart stopped. When EMTs were finally called, they found Boberon in a pool of blood, no medical doctor in charge, and no ongoing CPR, medical board records state. But EMTs identified a fast, organized heart rate, began CPR, and rushed her to the hospital. It was too late. She was pronounced dead 90 minutes later. The Georgia Medical Board later found that Dodds grossly failed to provide the standard of care patients should expect from their doctor, and the board revoked her license. But did she commit a crime? Dodds and an assistant were criminally indicted for felony murder and aggravated battery. In its investigation, the medical board found Dodds was absent for parts of the surgery, though records didn't show when, what transpired when she wasn't in the surgical suite, or who had administered medications then. Records also showed the surgery lacerated Jenkins' diaphragm and liver. In Boberin's case, the board said Dodd's records didn't reflect any vital signs or measurements for a crucial 10 minutes as her heart rate was falling. But prosecutors decided not to bring or not to pursue the criminal charges. The prosecutor, the district attorney, Vic Reynolds, said he didn't think he could bring a successful case. In considering when bad medical practice crosses the line to being a crime, 
prosecutors across the country have had to make similar decisions. No one is really sure where the line is. So doctors are rarely criminally prosecuted, even for gross negligence. But there is a line. A jury decided Michael Jackson's doctor, Conrad Murray, crossed it when he was convicted of uh, involuntary manslaughter for prescribing powerful anesthetic that caused an overdose. Even the AMA has said that reckless conduct can be culpable. But what's reckless? If they're taking a really large and unjustified risk, but ignore that, that's continuing. A doctor's intent in middle state are also factors here, but the law is unclear. The Georgia board issued an emergency suspension of uh, Dr. Dodd's license in 2014 and revoked her license in 2015. An administrative law judge in 2015 ruled that Dodd's failure, as described in the undisputed facts of the case and the lack of evidence of mitigating factors, uh, the court concluded it would be reckless to recommend any disciplinary action short of revocation. Now, she I, I'm, I'm not sure whether or not she's being sued civilly as well, but uh, these women died, and they went to clinics to, to for liposuction, and these entities are not regulated as medical facilities. I, I'm I'm sorry that this this really does blow my mind here uh, because I'm I'm not really in favor of government regulation of a lot of these things like like nail salons and 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 barbers and and uh, hair salons and things like that and and the idea that you got to go get certification that you know how to cut someone's hair. But this doctor at this meta spa performed liposuction, lacerated a woman's liver. And they didn't have to be treated or comply with with healthcare procedures that that normal outpatient facilities do. And I realize that would drive up the cost for this stuff. And you don't want to drive up the cost. You don't want to put people out of business who are good. But holy cow, this stuff is that unregulated in the state of Georgia. It blows my mind. So while I am normally apprehensive about uh, regulating businesses, I am not that upset about uh, the meta spa phenomenon being regulated to some degree uh, to, to adhere to some level of state licensing. And frankly, I have talked to a couple of friends of mine when I saw the story hit the wire this morning. I, I text messaged with a couple of friends of mine who are in this industry and they're like, we, we already comply. We don't, it's not going to drive up our costs because we're already doing anything to the extent that it, it drives up their costs. Uh, inspection, having to cover inspections and whatnot may drive up their costs a little bit, but they're already doing the stuff they need to do. But there are a lot of fly-by-night fly by night plastic surgery and liposuction. Just You shouldn't be doing it. And, and by the way, as an aside here, I realize that much like buying a computer, and I'm going to use the computer analogy, I can get the $999 low-end Mac laptop. I'm, I'm an Apple guy. I'm not going to talk about, well, I mean, yeah, I can, I can go to Walmart. I can get a Chromebook for a, a hundred bucks. But if you actually want to get some good, let, let's, let's use Apple here. You can get the $99, $999 laptop. You can get the $6,000 laptop. If any of you are generous souls and want to get me the new 16-inch MacBook Pro fully loaded, hell, I mean, if you got $50,000 and want to get me the generously loaded Mac Pro, I'm willing to let you be my sugar daddy in that regard. Just, 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 you can send me a check and I'll order it myself. But nonetheless, you, you get my point. There are, there are, there's a wide range of products you can get. And I understand that's the same way with plastic surgery. 
You can get the $1,000 facelift. You can get the $100,000 facelift. You can get the $1,000 boob job. You can get the $25,000 boob job. You may be able to, able to get the $100,000 boob job. But by and large, can I just tell you that for those of you who are getting plastic surgery, just age gracefully, please. The number of you who have your eyes pulled to the back of your head, it's just sad. And I see people like this all the time. And I'm just thinking, do you think you look good and, oh, it'll settle, it'll settle. No, I'm sorry. It's not necessarily going to look like you're settling. When you have to walk backwards because your eyeballs have been pulled to the back of your head, that's not going to settle. I, I'm I'm sorry. It doesn't look natural. I mean, Kenny Rogers, for God's sakes, let's just talk about the country music singer or, or half these people in Hollywood. It doesn't look natural. And I, I just, man, and I, I think, and then people can get addicted to plastic surgery. I'm thinking you, you look worse than you did when you went in the first time. Please stop. And people get addicted. People get addicted to all sorts of things. But I'm just, I, it is bizarre to me that people get addicted to plastic surgery as they increasingly look plastic and, 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 and weird. I'm just, no, please don't. And now you've got the Metaspa phenomenon where they can show up and, and get their liposuction too without state regulation. I'm sorry. I got a problem with that, folks. It's just a little creepy. It's just a little creepy. All right. Uh, we got some breaking news here we've got to get to right now. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is planning on dropping out of the race. Uh, she's going to drop out the New York Times reporting it right now. Elizabeth Warren going to be out of the race. Um, this is the New York Times happening. Uh, they posted this about five minutes ago. Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts plans to drop out of the presidential race on Thursday and will inform her staff of her plans later this morning, according to a person close to her, ending a run defined by an avalanche of policy plans that aim to pull the Democratic Party to the left and appealed to enough voters to make her briefly a front runner last fall. Briefly a front runner for like one day. One day, uh, but they proved unable to translate excitement from elite progressives into backing from the party's more working class and diverse base. Though her support had eroded by Super Tuesday in her final weeks as a candidate, she effectively drove the centrist billionaire Mike Bloomberg out of the race with debate performances that flashed her evident skills and political potential. She entered the race railing against the corrosive power of big money, and one long-term consequence of her campaign is that Ms. Warren demonstrated that someone other than Bernie Sanders and his intense loyal small donor dollar donors could fund a credible presidential campaign without holding fundraisers her potential endorsement is highly sought after in the race and both mr i'm sorry all these people are fawning over this woman who ran a failed bid on the way up this is ridiculous the media had been trying to make elizabeth warren happen forever and they failed what a ridiculous uh, it just just it's ridiculous I, I'm, wow, I'm sorry, but Elizabeth Warren was not a good candidate. 
She did not run a campaign that was a good campaign. She was overly obsessive about what people on so progressives on social media wanted her to do. She changed on a dime her policy positions. Uh, her signature policy position was Medicare for all. It's the one thing she doubled down on, claiming that it was a good thing. But I mean, good gracious, still. She didn't. She she came off as an opportunist. To see the media fawning over her is ridiculous. Uh, even on her way out, they tried to make her happen for a year and they couldn't get it done. And now she's out. And everyone who was involved with it should be embarrassed. Uh, her only good, according to these, I mean, just listen, 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 listen to this line. Where is it? Though her support had eroded by Super Tuesday. In her final weeks as a candidate, she effectively drove the centrist billionaire Mike Bloomberg out of the race with debate performances that flashed her evident skills and political potential. She ended the campaign with one 1,024th of the support she started with, and it was still hardly any support. She won nothing she got barely any delegates. Uh, she was not a good politician, and she had very few political skills, and yet the media fawns over her. Uh, that's just pathetic. The coverage of Elizabeth Warren dropping out is as hagiographic of her as it was when she started. And in all of these things, the media was wrong the whole time, and they should be ridiculed for it just as much as she should for her disastrous campaign. Y'all, seriously, I, I'm, I shouldn't dwell on this. I know I shouldn't, but th this paragraph is just galling to me. Galling. Though her support, I'm sorry, I really do need to read this in the proper way. <clears throat> Though her support had eroded by Super Tuesday, in her final weeks as a candidate, St. Elizabeth effectively drove the centrist billionaire from Ireland. I, I mean, uh, drove the centrist billionaire out of the race with debate performances that flashed her evident skills and political potential. Her evident skills and political potential. She ran a terrible campaign. Her signature initiative was Medicare for all, and it sank her campaign. Her other issue was a two cent tax on billionaires and that we would be able to fund everything. We would be able to fund uh, free health care. We would be able to fund uh, free college education. We would be able to fund pre-K for kids. We would be able to fund increased teacher pay. We would be able to fund, uh, you name it, abortions for all, men included. It, 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 ridiculousness. It was a terrible campaign. It was a stupid campaign. It was a campaign that made no sense, and it was a campaign that the media heralded. I am old enough to remember when she came out with that stupid DNA test, and members of the media, particularly on MSNBC, were, oh, she just owned the president. She's so awesome. You rock, girl. You just got under the president's skin. He said you couldn't prove you were an Indian, and you just did by being one 1,024th of one. You proved the You just owned the president. You're so awesome, Elizabeth. Oh, Elizabeth, please run for president. Oh, her doing this just, it means she's going to run for president. Oh, Elizabeth. Oh, Elizabeth. And her campaign sucked. Her campaign was a disaster. 
Her campaign never had a, a compelling message. Her campaign was obnoxious, and it was smug, it was arrogant, it was elitist, it was run off the intellectual literati of, of the, the smug left-wing progressive Twitter. Anything progressive Twitter wanted, oh, we have to pivot now because progressive Twitter is over here. We must run to this corner. Oh, no, now they've shifted. We must run over. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely a ridiculous, uh, arrogant campaign. It, it is, It is. I mean, Bernie Sanders at least believes in something. Elizabeth Warren believes in nothing but herself. And it, she's an opportunist uh, and, and was not a great candidate. She did not come across as warm and friendly. And by the way, this has absolutely nothing to do with her being a woman. And that's the other annoying thing is all these people say, if she was a man, she would have been treated more fairly. If she was a man, they'd have given her a second look. They'd have given her a 55th chance if she was a man. No, she was a terribly unlikable candidate. Her campaign had no messaging discipline. Her campaign had terrible time raising money. Her campaign was juvenile at times and arrogant at other times. And the entire time was obnoxious. It had nothing to do with her being a woman. It had everything to do with her running an unlikable campaign. The only people who liked her campaign were skinny jeans clad New York Times reporters who will never be able to bear children because they've cut off the circulation to their waist in their stupid little skinny jeans as they go out cheering Elizabeth Warren. You're our Saint Elizabeth. Oh, you've got evidence skills and political potential. That's what they actually say as she's dropping out of a campaign where she won exactly nothing. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be worked up about this, but the media bias about Elizabeth Warren has been grating on me for years. Back to when she was in charge of the Consumer Protection Financial Bureau, when Barack Obama heralded her and she was going to be the thing. She was going to be the next thing. Remember, she was going to run in 2016. Oh, we want Elizabeth. We don't want Hillary. Yes, we can go. We need Elizabeth to run for president of the United States. And you got the New York Times heralding the Boston Globe out there. What a saint. Saint Elizabeth. When Elizabeth stands, the waters part and the abortions do themselves. And she's flailing about and her campaign collapses and she can't raise money and she she can't be on stage without insulting and belittling everyone else and the media eats it up. Though her support had eroded by Super Tuesday, according to the New York Times, she had no support to begin the race. She won exactly nothing. She won nothing. And we were all worse off for having to listen to her on a campaign stage. She had a brilliant moment savaging uh, Donald uh, Michael Bloomberg. She was she was uh, I, I mean she was the the campaign suicide bomber of the Michael Bloomberg campaign. Got on stage and blew herself up and blew him up in the process. Uh, ruined her own campaign and took him out. And the media's yes, you got rid of the billionaire we all loved getting money from, but we all hated and we couldn't say anything bad about because we were all on the payroll. And you took him out for us. You're Dorothy throwing water on the witch Bloomberg. Uh, no, she was just a terrible candidate with a terrible campaign. The whole thing was terrible. It was badly mismanaged and they guided themselves off of Twitter. So they went this way and that way based on what progressive elite obnoxious opinion on Twitter decided they needed to do. The only thing she cared for was Medicare for all. And it was a non-starter with the public. And she insisted the public was stupid for not liking the plan. And now her campaign has floundered and she lost Massachusetts. She came in third in her home state. What evident political potential does she have when she loses her own state by coming in third? None, you media liars. <laughs> wow, <God. laughs> I'm sorry. 
I, I knew it. I knew it was going to happen, and, and it happened far. <laughs> the Babylon Bee is out with its coverage of Elizabeth Warren headline. <laughs> if y'all aren't familiar with it, BabylonBee.com is the website. Headline at the, at the top of the Babylon Bee right now. Uh, Elizabeth Warren returns to tribe in shame after failing to take land back from the pale faces. <laughs> Dateline Cherokee Nation. Having dropped out of the presidential race, Elizabeth Warren rode in solitude back to her reservation, having failed to take the land back from the pale faces. I am sorry, my people, I have failed, she said somberly, a single tear rolling down her cheek. The white man still holds our land, and the very trees cry out against them. May great spirit grant us another chance in four harvests. <laughs> the Cherokee people look confused, so she clarified. That means years, according to the Indian talk book I picked up at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> The Cherokee expressed mixed emotions at seeing Warren return from who are you to how many times do we have to tell you that you're not going to play some slots in the casino? Then you're not, then you're going to need to leave. <laughs> Let me do read that one again. Um <clears throat> The Cherokee expressed mixed emotions at seeing Warren return from who are you to how many times do we have to tell you that if you're not going to play the slots in the casino, you need to leave? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't be dancing on the grave of a, someone who lost the politics, but it was a smug, terrible, obnoxious campaign. Warren nodded, accepting her banishment from her once great place among the Cherokee people. I accept my punishment and vow never to return until the sun once again never sets on the Cherokee Nation. As I depart, let me simply ask you if you have ever heard the wolf cry to the blue corn moon or asked the grinning bobcat why he grins. <laughs> Wait, now you're just quoting Pocahontas, one tribal security guard said. All right, lady, let's go. The buffet is having crab legs tonight, but other than that, you're going to have to scram. At publishing time, Warren had sought advice from Grandmother Willow as to who it is that she should endorse. <laughs> well played, Babylon B. Well played. Oh, my goodness. Brutal. That is, that's fantastic. That is so fantastic. As I depart, let me simply ask you if you've ever heard the wolf cry to the blue corn moon or ask the gritty bobcat why he grins. <laughs> okay. All right. I will move on from dancing. I'm sorry at y'all. With the exception of Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren was the most irksome, tiresome candidate. And what made it even more infuriating is the people saying, it's because she's a woman. You don't like her. Listen, I would crawl over broken glass to vote for Nikki Haley for president of the United States. Elizabeth Warren being obnoxious has nothing to do with her being a woman. It has to do with her being obnoxious. Uh, and the fact that you, you the, the fact that you think that her being obnoxious has to do with her being a woman actually says way more about you than about me. 
Oh, my goodness gracious. Okay. All right. I'll move on from Elizabeth Warren. I, I want to talk about, man, I have so much stuff I've wanted to talk about today. Oh, I know. And this is a programming note as well. My producer better be listening to this and he's going to hate me for it. April 9th, it needs to be on everyone's calendar. It is important. It is very important, and I will not be here on April 9th. And none of you should be anywhere where you can listen to me on April 9th anyway. No, it's not the end of the world. It's the start of the Masters, and for the first time ever, I found someone who loves me enough to take me to the Masters, and I'm going. I am going to the Masters, and you should all be tuned into your TV screens anyway that day. You know, when I was a lawyer, the Masters was basically Christmas vacation. Everybody in law stops doing what they're doing and goes into their break room at their law firm and stares at the TV all day and watches golf on TV. And it's the only time I ever want to watch golf on TV. I would much rather be hitting golf balls and drinking beer um, than watching golf on TV. But I'll watch the Masters. And this year, I'm going just for a day. And it's 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 the practice rounds, I realize. But I'm going to the Masters. I'm going to have a pimento cheese sandwich in Augusta at the Masters. And then I'm going to go hit up the t- radio station over there and demand they put me on the radio on the talk station over there. But nonetheless, I'm going to the Masters. I'm taking that day off. If there is dead air for three hours, there is dead air for three hours. I am not coming into the office. I'm going to Augusta. Now, that being said, will I be able to go to Augusta? Augusta National is saying they are continuing to assess the coronavirus situation. Uh, and in so a Assessing the coronavirus situation, uh, they're not planning on suspending it right now. <clears throat> Can we have just a, a, and I promise I won't take my whole show on the coronavirus situation. There are now two schools of thought, and, and this is what we see at times like this and everything else. You have conventional wisdom, and over time, as conventional wisdom begins to settle in, you have something uh, of a... Um, of a um, streak of people who are contrarian and you start seeing the contrarian settle in. Well, really it's not that bad. And I have to say when it comes to the coronavirus, there are less than a hundred thousand people globally who have it. And only 3,305 of them have died. It is not that bad. 96,888 people total have it. 3,305 people have died from it as of right now. And 53,638 people uh, have recovered from it. It's not that bad. In the United States, yesterday when I came in and started the show, there were, what, 150 people in the United States who have it. There are now 162 people in the United States who have it. 11 have died. Eight have fully recovered. The 11 who died were all senior citizens in a nursing home in Washington state. Uh, But the recovery rates are going up, and now doctors are starting to say, hey, you know what? Maybe the the death rate uh, uh, from people who contract this, maybe it's not that high. What do you tell your kids in this? There are a couple things you need to tell your kids, but but first let, let me get to the, the rundowns here. If you're in Savannah, uh, they are assessing the situation for the St. Patrick's Day Parade, and, and they plan on continuing outdoor festivities for the St. Patrick's Day Parade. And the reality is uh, they should. It's going to be mostly young people there. And if you have a kid, and seriously, pay attention to me here. No, no, no funny stuff here. This is actually serious. If you have a child and your child has been hearing about the coronavirus, Here's what you need to tell your child. There has not been a single case of anyone under the age of 20, well, actually under the age of 30. There's not been anyone under the age of 30 
who has died from coronavirus, except I believe there is there is a report of possibly one, and that person had a pre-existing severe medical condition. The World Health Organization is out with a statement that if you are a child or a young person or a teen and you get it, the odds are you will not know you got sick. You can infect other people, but you will not have symptoms. If you do have symptoms, they will be mild. There is no reason for any kid in America to panic about coronavirus. The odds are they're not going to get it, and if they if they did get it, they won't even know they have it. This is something that affects the elderly, not the young. The masters, well, there's where the elderly are going to be, and myself included. I'm not that old. Shut up, Philip. Uh, and I will be at the masters, and they're going to have the masters, and they're going to have the St. Patrick's uh, Day Parade in Savannah. Uh, large gatherings are still going to go on. Life is going to go on. And there's some people who are starting to say, you know what? This is going to be like seasonal flu. And if you, interestingly enough, there is data out there from the CDC today that suggests that the number of people contracting the flu is declining. Now, why is that? Why are the number of people contracting the flu declining? It has a direct relationship to the uh, COVID-19. It is people who are suddenly taking seriously that they should wash their hands and not touch their face. You get the flu in, in COVID-19 the same way. By the way, the president is under attack from people on the left for daring to say as his advice that people should go get the flu, or not get the flu, get, get the flu vaccine. That if people would go get the flu vaccine, uh, that it would reduce uh, COVID-19. Now, that's not actually what he was saying. What the president was saying is that you need to go get the flu vaccine because you don't want to get the flu and COVID-19 together. And that if you behave as if you want to avoid the flu, you will avoid getting COVID-19 as well. Uh, wash your hands, cover your mouth when you cough or sneeze. Don't be around sick people. Washing your hands with soap and water and using hand sanitizer when soap and water is not available actually will prevent the spread of this disease. And in fact, we're seeing a decline in the flu over the last several weeks. And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the National Institutes of Health and others are saying it's because people have really gotten into washing their hands and, and covering their mouths because they don't want to give or get the coronavirus. And so it's helping with the flu in addition to the coronavirus. It actually is something that we only have 162 people in the country right now who have it. But but there was an idiot in New Hampshire. I mentioned the idiot in uh, in South Korea who was told by the doctor to go get tested and instead of going to get tested, decided to show up uh, at a church and then went out to an all-you-can-eat buffet. Well, in New Hampshire, <clears throat> I'm kind of surprised this person has not lost their job. They can't. It's not a crime. They're not going to go to jail. But listen to this. A New Hampshire man who this week tested positive as the first case of coronavirus in New Hampshire is bringing self-quarantine to the forefront after he ignored medical advice to stay home. Instead of avoiding contact with others, as he was advised to do after he visited the doctor Friday with a fever and respiratory problems, the same night, the man went to a mixer for medical workers and students near Dartmouth University's campus. On Monday, the man who works at the Dartmouth-Hitchcock Medical Center in Lebanon, New Hampshire, tested positive for the virus, and this week is the second patient who had close contact with him, tested positive as well, in self and is in self-quarantine. The man is now under official order to stay home. This idiot works at a hospital 
and had fever and the symptoms of coronavirus and decided to go to a mixer for people at the hospital. The man should be fired. I mean, he, he, he should go to jail, but it's not actually against the law in New Hampshire. So he's not going to go to jail, but he should be fired. He has put into jeopardy uh, the, the health of medical personnel who would have to deal with other people who have the coronavirus. Now, the medical personnel could be spreading it to people in the hospital because of this one idiot. Um, it, people are going to get sick and die because of idiots, not because of a virus. And that's the reality of it. I will tell you, though, that there is this growing uh, counter uh, people who just curmudgeonly, they want to be counterintuitive. They want to they want to go against the grain and they're like, it's really not that bad. It's really going to be the flu. And maybe it is, but we don't know yet. We actually don't know yet. Uh, even Anthony Fauci of the Centers for or of the National Institutes of Health says that the odds are that the mortality rate is going to be less than the two to three percent we're seeing right now. And that's fair, but it's not there yet. We have no evidence of it yet, and it's just speculation right now. Um, but it's better. You're better safe than sorry. And the reason you're better safe than sorry right now is because the older you get, if you have elderly parents or you're around people, the problem is that once this virus does get into a community, it spreads faster and more aggressively than the flu. And so don't be like the idiot in New Hampshire. Be like the dad in Atlanta who came back from Milan, minimized contact with the outside world, stayed home. Uh, his son wound up getting infected. In fact, I got an email from someone who, who's uh, saying I, I shouldn't be praising the guy too much because he got a son infected. But yeah, uh, he did. But he stayed home <clears throat> and he did try to minimize contact with his family, um, but they were in the house with him. He wasn't going to go stay in a hotel. The son's got it. The wife and the daughter may very well get it, um, but... He took precautions to make sure it wasn't going to spread outside his family. And we should commend someone like that compared to this idiot in New Hampshire who had all the symptoms, including the fever, and still went out to a gathering of medical personnel and hung out with him because they were his coworkers. I suspect they don't want to be his coworkers anymore, and he shouldn't be their coworker. He should be fired, if only for being an idiot. Oh, man, y'all. First of all, <clears throat> I need a new operations director and managing editor for the resurgent. I've just had to fire um, the, the guy who worked for me, Philip, uh, he's, he's, he's out of a job now and it just, just a terrible person. He dared to text me and tell me that I was in fact old and I, I guess he's going to, you know, good news for him. The Georgia high school athletic association has decided that they're going to make bass fishing a, a high school sport. And, and maybe he can go back to high school cause he would rather be fishing anyway. I mean, he wanted to take off work and go fishing yesterday and, and the weather was so bad. He, I made him go to Athens with me. Um, but yes, the Georgia high school athletic association is going to make bass fishing a sport for high school students in Georgia. That's not actually a bad thing. I think that's pretty awesome. Um, but that is news. Uh, no, I haven't actually fired Philip as much as I want to. My wife won't let me. And that's a problem. All the people around me, my wife likes them more than I like them. And I'm not allowed to fire or any of them. And it's terrible. Now, nonetheless, uh, a buddy of mine just sent this to me. This is from Alex Griswold at the Free Beacon from August of last year. Honestly, the other 2020 Democrats might as well pack it in because the pro presidential primary is over. CNN is now reporting that Danny Barefoot, oh yes, the Danny Barefoot, has finally made up his mind and is endorsing Elizabeth Warren. Some voters have decided that they have seen and heard enough and are now zeroing in on his or her top candidate, CNN host Brooke Baldwin announced before her interview with Barefoot Tuesday. For Democratic strategist Danny Barefoot, his months of flirting with multiple candidates is over. After placing several Democrats in the top spot, Barefoot has decided he is now all in for Senator Elizabeth Warren. The CNN Chiron 
and description really hammered home Barefoot's importance, describing him as a dim and also a Democrat who has decided to support Elizabeth Warren. For four minutes, Baldwin asked Barefoot to lay out the reasons why he was supporting Elizabeth Warren, and Barefoot responded that, well, Elizabeth Warren is awesome. I suspect there is some scoffing at home that Danny Barefoot isn't that famous and that no one has ever heard of him and aren't there roughly 5,000 faceless political consultants and 10 billion or so Democratic campaign staffers in D.C. and why on earth should he get a CNN interview that just serves as a de facto commercial for Elizabeth Warren so for the sake of you drooling ignoramuses let's lay out the metrics behind what a big deal this guy is. With Danny Barefoot on her side, Warren can expect to win the votes of all 5,700 Twitter followers and all four of the individuals who follow his employer, Anvil Strategies. Old Dan No Shoes, as Sally Quinn famously dubbed him, ended up on TV because Baldwin saw his Twitter thread in which the most popular tweet received only 170 retweets. That's influential. Baldwin likewise could have interviewed this cat sleeping on Doritos who received 10 times as many tweets. She could have also interviewed this liberal journalist who got three times as many retweets for wondering why the hell CNN was interviewing some guy named Danny Barefoot and just rattling off pro-Warren talking points. Heck, my most retweeted hot take yesterday hit over 300 retweets, and I also have roughly 7.5 times more followers than Mr. Barefoot. I expect my CNN interview to come any moment. My goodness gracious. Oh, uh, Danny Barefoot was also mentioned in the Washington paper of record, the Washington Post, albeit just one time in 2012, and it's because he got caught donating to a PAC that ran a false attack ad against his husband's opponent in his race for Alexandria City Council. Anvil strategies had never been mentioned in the post, but maybe that's a bad metric for influence. Again, I've been mentioned 17 times in the post. I mean, this this is a reminder. <laughs> oh, Danny Barefoot was also, he, he served as the campaign manager for Crystal Ball. Uh, that's a real name for someone, Crystal Ball. She was on MSNBC. She's a political person. She ran for Congress in Virginia's first congressional district, and um, he ran her campaign. The campaign failed to anticipate Facebook photos uh, that caused a very big scandal that sank her campaign. Oh, my. Uh, Yes. Uh, But CNN decided to get him on back in August. They have tried, tried, tried to make Elizabeth Warren happen. And that, my friends, is another example of just how much the Democrats were desperate. The media, not the Democrats, the media, just how big the media were uh, and desperate to make sure that Elizabeth Warren happened. And Elizabeth Warren is not going to happen. And now they're going to rally to Joe Biden and pretend Elizabeth Warren was never a thing. My goodness. All right. When we come back, I want to dwell on qualifying here in Georgia. If you're up in the Habersham County area, you're listening uh, up in Clarksville, WCHM. And and if you're up in Rome on WRGA, you got open Senate races or not open Senate races. You got open house races. I want to talk about who's qualifying in these races. There are a number of names that are starting to float. Uh, qualifying closes tomorrow in the state legislature, and there's a stack of candidates who have come out to run. Some of those names are familiar names as they seek to replace Tom Graves in the Rome area and Doug Collins in the Habersham County area and the Gainesville area. We will delve into those names when we come back. 
Y'all, I I apparently need to apologize before we get into qualifying. I apparently need to apologize. Uh, I I I have offended a listener, and he's very upset. And he he I may have lost a listener. I've offended William. I won't go to his last name, but I, I've I, I I've offended William. He writes. I tried your new radio show on 9.40 a.m. in Macon. At first, I enjoyed it, as you seemed to be a rarity, an informed, rational, reasonable, Christian conservative. Then you got on a nasty abortionist murder rant, and you lost me. Sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, William, that you don't recognize the willful taking of a human life as murder. I'm I'm sorry I lost you there. I mean, honestly, though, when, when you when you do the rarity and informed, rational, reasonable Christian conservative, uh, yeah, you're you're telling me right there, yeah, 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 you're not you're, you're not in the demo. Um, happy to have happy. Listen, I am very happy to not only have people listen. I'm happy to have people who disagree with me call in. Uh, but, uh, to, to, to say, oh yeah, I've listened to you and, and you were so informed and then you dared to point out what abortion actually is. And oh, I can't listen to you anymore. You dogmatic, narrow minded Christian rube for telling the truth of what, uh, that medical procedure actually does. Good Lord. Uh, by the way, have you ever noticed that the that the defenses of abortion are all the same defenses that Southern slaveholders used before the civil war? It, it's my body. It's my property. It, it's not really a human being. I mean, <laughs> there, it really is amazing that the, the, the people who defend abortion to this day are just using the exact same arguments used uh, by people uh, prior to the Civil War in the South who owned slaves. Now, if you don't want a slave, you, you don't have to have a slave. Uh, you, you you don't own a slave. You shouldn't have any say in this. You you it, it it's 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 my slave. It's 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 my property. It's it's my body. Uh, yeah yeah. It's true though. And man, it makes them mad when you point it out. But it's so true. Um, slaveholders and abortionists use the exact same arguments. Now we need to get to qualifying. Uh, let me read you the names here. I, I've I've got the lists of uh, qualifying in Georgia. So in David Perdue's race, we now have David Perdue, Sarah Riggs Amico, Teresa Tomlinson, John Ossoff, James Knox, and Shane Hazel running. Hazel is a libertarian. Everybody else is Democrat except for David Perdue. Um, then for Kelly Leffler, my goodness, the Democrats wanted to try to keep people out of this race. It's not working. Uh, you've got, um, wait, who is this? You've got uh, Tamara... Uh, you, you've got uh, Kelly Leffler, Doug Collins has qualified, uh, Tamara Johnson Shea, Joy Felicia Slade, Richard Dean Winfield, Matt Lieberman, Brian Slowinski, Al Bartell, and Alan Buckley. Uh, Alan Buckley and Al Bartell, looks, they're listed as running independent. Brian Slowinski as a libertarian. Oh, bizarre. Uh, but uh, the, the the interesting race is that the two open house seats up in north georgia you've got in northeast georgia you've got uh which one is northeast georgia um what what is the number here yeah it, it's uh house district number 
Is it nine? Yes. House District 9 is northeast Georgia. House District 14 is northwest Georgia. House District 9 is Habersham County and up to through to, to the state line. Uh, and then uh, the House District 14 is Tom Graves' district, and that's northwest Georgia, the Rome area and north. So here's who we've got qualified now. Uh, in you got a bunch of Republicans running and a couple others who say they're getting into the race. This is Doug Collins' seat. Now, let me just, uh, Georgia House District 9, uh, just, just so I want to make sure that I have this f- so that you can be fully educated as to who I'm talking about. So I'm pulling up this map here to give you the accurate counties in the district. We have in the district for Northeast Georgia, it is, let's see, Fanning County, parts of, let's see, it, Yep, Fanning County, Dawson County, Lumpkin County, Forsyth, Northern Forsyth County, Hall County, White County, Habersham County, Rabin County, um, Banks County, Jackson County, Madison County, Franklin County, Hart County, Elbert County. Uh, that is uh, Northeast Georgia. And in this race, am I missing any? I don't think I'm, I think I got everybody. Okay, in Northeast Georgia, we've got uh, qualifying for this race, we've got Michael uh, bogus B O G G U S Kevin Tanner. Who's in the state house, Matt Gertler. Who's in the state house, Maria Strickland, Andrew Clyde, Paul Brown, the former Congressman and Ethan Underwood. Those are all the Republicans running. And then Devin Pandy is a Democrat who is running. I hear that was it John Wilkerson in the state Senate is also planning on on getting in there. Uh, Paul Brown, former congressman, has a lot of street cred with conservatives. Keep your eye on Matt Gertler, though. Matt Gertler, most of the major conservative groups up in D.C. are already coming out for him. I hear, um, see, Rand Paul has already endorsed him. Um, my understanding is Mike Lee and Ted Cruz may soon be coming out for him. Uh, the Freedom Works has come out for him. I think Club for Growth is coming out for him. He's the guy that David Ralston hates. Uh, Matt Gertler is the state representative that David Ralston ran someone against because Gertler voted no on the budgets. And it made David Ralston so mad that he stripped Matt Gertler of all of his power in the state house and had somebody run against Gertler and Gertler won, beat that person. Um, stands up to his own side. So I suspect you're going to see some of the House Freedom Caucus guys come out and, and support him. Um, and it's it just a very interesting candidate there. And then in, in House District 14, that is Tom Graves' seat. Now, let, let me let me do this again in fairness so that we get this one right as well. House District 14, Tom Graves' district. The, the population hub of that is Rome, just so you know, and it, it kind of stretches up. I, it used to be part of the 11th Congressional District back in the day, and that district is, oh, come on, pull up the stupid map. Um, sometimes you go to Wikipedia and Wikipedia lets you down. Okay, uh, this district includes in it, uh, you got, let's see, Walker County's in there, Whitfield County's in there, Murray County's in there, Gordon County, Chattooga County, the Floyd County, Polk County, Paulding County, and Harrison County, and uh, whatchamadiggy, um, there's one that it's not listed on the map, and now I got to make sure I get it right because I got listeners up there, and I don't want them to be upset with me. It is Dade, was it uh, Dade County, that's right, Dade County's up there, and Catoosa County, 
is up there. Um, you've got all that in the 14th Congressional District. Now, the, again, the population hub, arguably Paulding County. Paulding County is, is the metropolitan core there. It stretches down into around Lithia Springs, Dallas, and Ackworth, uh, and then goes up to Rome. Rome is fully in it. Parts of Adairsville are in it. Man, I would need to go to Barnsley Gardens. And then you go all the way up. Uh, Dalton is in there, up 75. i uh, got a good number of listeners in this district and in the uh, 9th Congressional District where Doug Collins as congressman now who is running for this one uh, right now here's who we have qualified and again qualifying doesn't close until tomorrow and i'll keep the list updated to be on the safe side but right now we've got john barge ben bullock kevin cook uh, clayton fuller john cowan bill hembry and marjorie green uh, have all jumped into this race right now and we will see uh who actually decides to uh, go with them into the race. I'm sure there will be some others. And then, you know, up up in the Woodstock area, this is a race I'm keeping my eye on for the state Senate. Brandon Beach was going to run for Congress, uh, jump back into his state Senate race in state Senate District 21. He's uh, being challenged by my buddy, Michael Caldwell, who's in the state house. And I, I am totally, I like Brandon Beach, but I am supporting Michael Caldwell. Brandon Beach made a big misstep, uh, claimed the governor endorsed him, and the governor has not endorsed him. That's going to become a big deal. That's more for the Atlanta market, though. I guess I'll deal with that one later. I am going to be interesting to see who else comes out for these races. What, what Essentially what you have, just so you understand the dynamics, and, and this happens everywhere, but it's, it's happening in the 14th and 9th now, because Doug Collins has been there for a while, and Tom Graves has been there for a while. Doug Collins wants to run for the Senate. Tom Graves is stepping aside. They're, it's a big signal they don't think they're going to get back in the majority, so why hang around? Uh, and I think with Bernie Sanders not now going to be the Democratic nominee, the odds are the Republican will have a harder time taking back the house but uh so they're leaving and what typically happens is you have a bunch of people who've been biding their time waiting particularly members of the state legislature uh local district attorneys who are politically ambitious and and they want to go further they want to go further in life uh, that they want to go that they want to stretch their legs and they have to wait for the present congressman to vacate. And so when the present congressman vacate, they all pour into the races. And you see these massive piles. Now, here's the thing. Uh, with the 14th and the 9th, these are Republican races. In the 14th, is there any Democrat actually in there? Let, let me go back and see. Uh, nope, there are. Again, let me read you in the 14th and the Rome area. John and Rome, Dalton, that area. John Barge, Ben Bullock, Kevin Cook, Clayton Fuller, John Cowan, Bill Hembry, Marjorie Green. These are all Republicans. No Democrat has yet qualified. Do you know uh, Tom Graves, the last time he ran, his opponent, I think, was in jail for a DUI and got like 25% of the vote. And and that's the most that a Democrat's going to get in that area. It's so Republican. It's like an R plus 20 district. And then Doug Collins's uh, House District 9, David Pandy is running as a Democrat. The rest of them are running as Republicans. Michael Bogus, uh, Kevin Tanner, Matt Gertler, Maria Strickland, Andrew Clyde, Paul Brown, Ethan Underwood. And they're all the Republicans. And that district is like an R plus 15 district district. I mean, these are districts where if Jesus himself ran as a Democrat, not that he would, but if Jesus ran as a Democrat, he would lose to the Republican. That's how Republican these districts are. 
Uh, and I mean, never say never. Look at what happened with Doug Jones versus Roy Moore in Alabama, which, by the way, did you hear Roy Moore got blown out of the water on Tuesday night? He will not be uh, in the United States Senate. He won't even be in the runoff. But nonetheless, there you are. That's your qualifying. Keep an eye on that race. The other issue is the legislation continues to advance. Marco Rubio has come out and, and offered some some support for West Cantrell's uh, daylight savings legislation here in Georgia. My, Mar, you know, Marco Rubio is a huge fan of ending uh, fall back and spring forward. Now, he would prefer to spring forward and never fall back again. And I think I'm kind of with him. I would rather it be darker in the morning and stay late, stay sun up in the evening. When you go to the beach and stuff, stuff like that matters. But Rubio, nonetheless, uh, he 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 is a big advocate of all these movements around the country to to stop spring forward and fall back, and said he would be perfectly fine with falling back as long as we never had to spring forward again. He would prefer to spring forward and leave it there on daylight saving time and make daylight saving time standard time. But so the the legislation is advancing out of the Senate into the House of Representatives. It is a non-binding referendum that the legislature may consider doing. Wes Cantrell, who is a preacher at First Baptist Woodstock, and also in the legislature, and a wonderful human being has this legislation, and it would just put a non-binding referendum on the November ballot during the general election so all Georgians of voting age have a chance to vote. Do you want to spring forward and stay sprung forward? Do you want to fall back and never stand up again? Or do you want to keep daylight, do you want to keep the spring forward fall back routine going? And I think the voters should have a say. Now, here's what you need to know. If voters decide they want to fall back in the fall and stay on standard time in perpetuity, because remember, fall back goes to standard time, spring forward, what we're doing this Sunday, this Sunday is spring forward. And that puts us on daylight saving. It's not daylight savings time. It's daylight saving it daylight saving time. We save daylight. We we push it. We push the hours, so to speak, until the evening. So there's more light in the evening, and I would I would prefer that. But it's actually it's not standard time. It would shift every time zone around if we stay there. But nonetheless, if Georgia decides that it wants to spring forward and stay there, it would take an act of the federal Congress to do that. But if the voters were to decide, let's just fall back in the fall and stay on standard time and never spring forward again, our state legislature could pass the law. And there are a couple of states. Arizona, I believe, is one that never uh, springs forward and, and fall back. And, you know, Indiana for a while was very weird in that part of the state did the spring forward fall back and part of the state did not. And it became very confusing. And I believe when Mike Pence was governor, they finally changed that because they decided it put parts of Indiana at an economic disadvantage because it, it screwed up conference calls for businesses and things like that. Um, so nonetheless, um, I personally think we should do it. I hope the legislature allows us to have a say on the ballot in November. And I really wish Congress would listen to Marco Rubio. This should be a campaign issue. You know, this should be something for this should be bipartisan. Uh, the Democrats and Republicans together for once. You know, we got as, as Everett Dirksen used to say, there are two parties in Washington, the stupid party and the evil party. And every once in a while, the stupid party and the evil party get together and they do something that is both stupid and evil. And the press calls that bipartisan. Occasionally, though, the stupid party, the evil party might get together and do something that's actually smart and good. And if you want to get the stupid party and the evil party together and do something that's smart and good, the Republicans and the Democrats together should get together and they should say, 
Let's spring forward and stay there. I'm with Marco Rubio on this. Joe Biden and Donald Trump could have a moment of national unity and come out and say, let's do this, guys. Let's do it and stay there. There will always be people who complain because there are people who complain about everything. But the majority of Americans would be happy. We would never have to do it again. And if not, we should adopt my wife's genius plan. My wife's genius plan is that we should fall back every Monday. So we get an extra hour of sleep. And on Friday, we should spring forward at four o'clock. So we get an hour off work early. Now, that wouldn't apply to me because I have to be on radio one way or the other. But nonetheless, for most Americans, you get an hour to sleep extra on Monday and get off an hour early on Friday. And that that's a good idea. But if not, let's spring forward on Sunday and never change the time again. Plus, it's kind of offensive to me that Congress thinks it can monkey with the time. And yet the Constitution allows them to. All right. I got to play you guys part of this conversation back to politics nationally. Uh, You need to hear part of this. This is Chris Cuomo on CNN talking to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. The use of the word establishment, okay? I think the case can be made that you lost to Democrats last night, not the establishment. There are too many different demographics that came to play on Biden's side. You can't dismiss them all as part of the problem. So you are injecting a progressivism into a party that is mostly center left. First, let's talk about the language. Do you have to be careful about establishment because you make people feel like African-Americans, like all of a sudden they're part of the problem? Well, I do think that there's a kind of a disingenuous um, com- conflating of what we mean. Uh, the fact of the matter remains that Bernie Sanders is now the only front runner in this in this race that does not take corporate lobbyist money. He does not take money from health insurance health insurance executives. He does not take money from fossil fuel lobbyists, and he does not have closed door um, he does not have closed door fundraisers with elites. and uh, And I think that that is an important distinction. Now, if you voted. Um, Um, If you did not vote for Senator Sanders last night, that doesn't mean you're part of the establishment. And I think every American knows that Washington has there's a very strong grip of special interests in Washington. Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders has a unique integrity. He is not bought and he has zero uh, corporate lobbyist money financing his campaign. You think Biden is is bought? I think that there's a, there are real issues with um, where where campaign money comes from, and I think it's not um, it's not a secret. This is how many of the if even swing district members won their races in 2018 because they do not take corporate PAC money. There are some that are very progressive. There are some that are very conservative. But one of the through lines that we saw in 2018 was that if you won your race, you likely did not take corporate PAC money. It is a huge trust issue. Voters, And I think that Bernie Sanders has that trust. What he says, he will do everything he can to deliver. You know, if I'm a billionaire and I give Joe Biden money, I can't give Joe Biden a million dollars or even a billion dollars. I can give Joe Biden $5,000. So if you've got billionaires funding Joe Biden's campaign, they can't give more than what anyone else can give. And that's a limit of $5,000. It's a silly talking point from the Sanders team that they've come up with. And you know what I know if Bernie Sanders is the Democratic nominee and he's not going to be now. And that's what's got him really upset. But if he were, if, if, if Bernie Sanders were the Democratic nominee, Bernie Sanders would rely on super PACs. And Bernie Sanders would tell himself he's doing what he's got to do. He's, he's, he's focused in ways he needs to focus. He's making the tough decisions he needs to make. 
and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would justify it. As would all the Democrats, they would justify it because they'll do whatever they can to win. But the reason I play this exchange is her earnestness in it uh, raises another issue. The Democratic Party is on the verge of a crack-up, and the media doesn't report it because the media can't see it because so much of the media is inside it, they just can't see it. And they don't recognize what's happening. See, excuse me, if you if you look at where the media, where your average reporter stands, your average reporter's ideology is somewhere between where Bernie Sanders is and where Joe Biden is, decidedly on the left, but somewhere between Biden and Sanders. That's why members of the media can look at Joe Biden and say he's a moderate when he's not, but he's to the right of the reporter, so he must be. It's actually a, a really interesting dynamic here, and but the media being in the middle of it, they can't really see what's happening. You've got this progressive wing of the party. If they go through four years of Joe Biden, they can't advance the progressive agenda, and they can't. They're going to be really, really, really upset about it. The best they may be able to do is get Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat changed on the Supreme Court. Um, Biden would be able to replace her, but that's about it. <laughs> 